How was your day? Not productive. No. It, no. It should have been productive because it was uh, Saturday and Saturdays are my day to like clean and get things done around the house. And that is not what I did today. No. So tomorrow's going to suck. Instead, you spent the day on Disney. <laughs> okay, listen. Belle and the Beast came to the Disney Dreamlight Valley and we needed to properly explore that. Well, yeah. You are a Belle and, gal. Right. Imagine if Jasmine came to the valley, you'd be like needing the whole weekend. I'm wait- <laughs> waiting for it. That would be amazing. So, right? So, and not only that, it wasn't just a simple like, hey, how's it going? Like, welcome to the valley. No, they live in a fucking castle. So I had to make room for a fucking castle in my already overcrowded population of a valley. Oh my God. So I had to reconfigure all kinds of stuff. So I spent the day like basically zoning. I hate when that happens. Ridiculous. This is not my job. Now I'm sitting here, I have to move stuff around to get the palace in there. But Ursula has legs now. That's terrifying. She's Vanessa now. Okay. Yep. So when you say she has legs now, all I was thinking of is Ursula. Ah, but, but with legs? <laughs> that would be terrifying. No, she could turn into Vanessa okay. so she can walk on land. Got you. Okay. I'm sitting here like... The excuse was that that was the only potion she had of a look that she had. So that's what she's using. Gotcha. I mean... I still think it's pretty terrifying since she lives in the same valley as Eric and... Well, yeah. She's going to, like, seduce Ariel. I mean, not seduce Ariel. Seduce Eric. They make Eric and Ursula have the same, like, time that they're scheduled to be at the restaurant. Oh, they're thinking, man. They're thinking. So half the time you walk in and they're having dinner together. That's awkward. Yeah. It's a cruel joke. Yep, it's not a cruel summer, it's just a cruel joke. I just said that in my head. Did you really? This is why we're friends. This week, we are doing the continuation from last week. And last week, we read There Are No Saints by Lois. <laughs> were you going to say Lois Lane? Because that was weird. <laughs> no, I was going to say Lofi Lark. Her name is not Last Lofi. week, Lofi. Put your Lofis on. Last week. We read There Are No Saints by Sophie Lark. It's part of the Sinner's Duet. So this week, we are reading book two. This week, we read There Is No Devil, obviously, also by Sophie Lark. Not to be confused with Lofi Lark, as apparently my tongue is trying to make this happen today. Last week, we left off with Mara and Cole and the pillar... Alistair Shaw had just struck again and had killed Mara's roommate, Erin, and left her waiting for her in her bed. And Mara had tried to go to the police, like, hey, hey, I know who the killer is, and they blew her off yet again. And so this week, we pick up with Mara has now moved in with Cole for her safety and because he likes to have her around. And she likes to be around. So, cool beans. This book, it literally is like two bookends. There's no definitive ending to the last one. There's no real definitive start to this one either. It's just it flowed from one book to the other as Mm -hmm. if you sat down and read them both 
together as and if they were like the two intertwined snakes on the covers you're welcome you've been waiting a while to do that haven't you no actually i just really <laughs> like the snakes yeah you do that's a, that's your favorite part of this book so the cover is yeah cover's really nice this book does start with a dedication saying that this book was very personal to Sophie Lark and she de- dedicated it to anyone who had suffered abuse previously. The Mars struggles are drawn from her own experiences and others' experiences that this book is about finding love and acceptance in another person and more importantly about loving and accepting yourself. And it was a nice little start to our journey. And then they went shopping. Yeah. That's kind of how this book opens. They, so a big shift from last book to this book is they are like so grossly in love in this book. They they have coupled. They have really they coupled. They dove into this living <laughs> together thing with arms wide open and they have with found that they synced. I did it in the back of my head. You're good. <laughs> I was trying not to sing today, so I'm really trying to rein it in, and you are not helping. With legs wide open. She did dive in with legs wide open. Yes. So, but they just found how compatible they were living together, and they really just felt that instant, like, sink those missing kind of pieces. So they really did just kind of mesh right from the start. So Cole takes Mara shopping because she's living with him now and she needs to have clothes that are not peasant clothes. (laughs) He was a lot less snobby in this book, which I appreciated because... He wasn't. (laughs) He kept making comments. Not as many comments in this book as there was in the last book. He's still a little pretentious about some things, but he was more palatable in this book than the last book. Gotcha. I didn't, I didn't outright think... hate every single time he came on the page. Well, that's good. I didn't think there was that much of a difference in his snobbiness, I but I'm glad he was more palatable it. for you. So they have quite a lot of foreplay going on, right, with the shopping and all that jazz and get all into it. Mara increases her relationship with Sonia and finds out that Sonia has a child and that she had a nasty nasty custody battle it went on for years it was brutal it was awful her ex was just like this piece of shit. downright piece of scum yes and then it was affecting her work she was having trouble coming in and then he was found dead i literally wrote i'm pretty sure cole killed him shocking i'm just saying. i wasn't even pretty sure i was like dead sure I mean, I just <laughs> as wanted... dead as the ex-husband And a lot of people in this book. Yes. We find out that she continued that series of paintings that she was working on in the last book, or she completed them, I should say. And there were six in that set, and she sold all six of them. And she made quite a profit. She's never seen that much money, like, in her life. And uh, big deal. And I'm sure it's still pennies to Mystico. But... She's starting a new set and she's really excited and she's really diving deep for this new set of paintings. And Cole feels frustrated because he doesn't feel like Mara has opened up enough to him. Which to me felt weird. Which thank you. Okay. Okay. Because I'm like, I'm like, 
I thought I thought he, he and he kept saying like I I've heard nothing and I'm like okay I'm glad please. that I'm not the only one who because I thought it was going crazy I didn't like, know if it was just his way or if it was like a weird thing I think it was just him being him because he's like I don't have every possible little thing I could even ever know about you so it means I have nothing yeah and I'm like I was and like doesn't I, yeah. he already know a lot of her secrets though? he knows like, a lot of, but he wanted I'm every glad I single thought, minute detail I legitimately thought I was going crazy where I'm like nope I was like what the fuck okay <laughs> nope so she's like dude I don't know anything hello and she didn't even argue with him which that's kind of what got me most of like girl stand up for yourself he knows mm-hmm. plenty about you but I think that was her way kind yeah. of being like you know I, I don't know anything so they decided to do an info for info deal with each other like they're gonna swap questions and she asked him about his first kill and did he say there that, is like something you can't ask me about or something like that there was I thought there was like a stipulation he wasn't ready to answer questions about Alistair at that moment okay which I'm like damn it I was really curious about their history together I want to know yes yeah he didn't think she was ready for that she was not and so her question to him was who was your first kill and we we learn about his backstory mm-hmm. and while he's giving his family backstory he's kind of forcing her to learn how to drive because he finds out that she's never driven a car before so it's a interesting little dynamic going on the fact but that he is, he's, he's making her drive his tesla <laughs> it's oh much by a new one so He's giving us all this information about his family and about the dynamic with his father and that, you know, he had an uncle that was much younger than his father who always saw Cole as direct competition. And he wasn't quite the greatest human being on the planet. And he tried to get Cole out of the running for the company quite a few times. Yeah, I did write that. I'm like, his father fucking sucks. And then before everything else happened with the uncle, I was like, I have a feeling his uncle sucks and either taught him to kill or was his first kill. So those were my notes before continuing with the story. I felt it was pretty obvious where it was going. I, well, but, I don't know. Oh, you, you are looking for all kinds of different well, ways. Because in could. my brain, because of the way he's like, oh, we're so similar. So I was like, ooh, maybe he like taught him how to no. kill. And I was like, no, this his... is, he's direct. Yeah. No. That's fine. My brain went in 16 different directions. So I like it. He did. It was getting too dicey. And he was like, if I don't do this, he is going to succeed and he's going to kill me. So his uncle was the first one to go. So yep. we learned that that was his first and that he has had 14 in all until this moment. So I had a slight problem. I think it was just part of his character and the persona and the masking he did in the first book, instead of that just being who he truly was, because him telling his family story of a variety of feelings seemed really contradictory towards, you know, the well, whole beginning of the book. Yeah. Of like, I've never I mean, felt this and I've never felt this and I only ever feel anger and I only ever, you know what I mean? Well, I think he was he's, very, he's using that as like a band-aid his mask over his and past. His, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think because he is 
in love with her and is like all consuming opening and she is making the stipulations of he wants to know her information so bad but she will not share unless he shares and he wants to win and he wants all that information so i think his thought process is well maybe i'll just share all this stuff and then of course like he just he's so into it's and not only that but i think that him being around her like you said is helping him grow as a person. So he's Mm -hmm. recognizing emotions and stuff that he wasn't able to put labels on before or know what they were. So I think now thinking back through her eyes and through telling this story, he's able to put names on those and recognize them for what they were versus how he was able to look through rose-colored glasses previously. I mean, I just, I enjoyed seeing his backstory and everything. And then with his mom as well but he didn't he glossed over any mention of his mom during this time yeah he just kind of said that she met his dad and saw the mask until they were married and then the mask dropped away behind closed doors and she was miserable that's really all we learned about the mom during this time we learned about her killing herself she unalives herself yeah just a simple fact well he was saying that at one point Ruben might have believed that he would inherit the company very much in his way, especially after my mother died. And he goes, you can ask. And she's just like, what happened to your mother? And he goes, she hung herself. He went into more detail about it later. But I think that him sharing that with her, it took a big weight off of himself because it kind of brought a lot of shit forward. But I mean, he even says to her, like, you threaten everything I thought I knew and everything I believed. Yeah. In return... She has to share a story and she gives a flashback. So it's a 12 year flashback of her 13 years old. And at 13 years old, she's. Which in... would make her 25. <laughs> Good job. We finally fucking figured this shit out. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I wrote that down. And I, I don't know if you actually figured that out or if you just did the, the 12 plus 13 right now. But to get all that, you had to wait until. Her flashback was over and then she had a countdown of how many months until she turned 18 and I had to divide that and then figure that out and figure out how old she was. A lot of mathing involved. Yeah. Let me just tell you, if you want to know how old she was, you had to do work, (laughs) which drives me crazy. But anyways, so we have her 13 year old perspective in this flashback of just an instance, one of many instances of being around her mother and Randall, her stepfather. And we just see the dynamic between the mom and Randall and how poorly she's treated there and how miserable she is. And, you know, it just gives Cole that little insight into her as a child. And her mom is a piece of shit and Randall mm-hmm. is an even bigger piece of shit. And of course, I, I, I think they're both pieces of shit, but I think the mom is actually the bigger piece of shit. Yeah. Well, in this moment, the mother is a bigger piece of shit until things that happen later on in the book. And he's even a bigger piece of shit. I just, I truly think that she's the biggest of them both. She put her kid in all these precarious situations on oh, purpose. For sure. like she chose. For sure. like, but some comments that Randall has made later on. Oh, absolutely. Not very but... thrilled about that. Then the three girls from the school were pieces of shit. And of course, like she has to get home at certain times or 
Randall punishes her for being late for literally no reason. Like, it just, it was all terrible. Hated all of it. Like, he sucks. So she would get, you know, reprimanded at school because her uniform's too small and her skirts are too short. So, like, obviously all the girls are like, she's just a whore like her mom because, but Randall's not buying her the new uniforms. So neither is her mom. Spoiler alert, the man is definitely not buying her the new uniforms because he likes her skirts that short on a 13-year-old because he's absolutely fucking disgusting. After they have these conversations and they, you know, get back into life and all that jazz, Mara decides to head into work at the Sweet Maple. And she isn't bartending anymore. She isn't walking the dogs anymore, but she does not feel like she can stop working at Sweet Maple doing her brunch duties because Arthur, the man who runs that place or owns that place or her boss there, he is the one who probably saved her literally years and years and years ago when she ran away. So this man, like one look at her, she's had the same clothes she had had on for weeks of trying to like sleep on the streets and yada, yada, yada. And no one would take her for a job she had no like skills that she could prove she had no clean clothes she had nowhere actually to live and no one would take her on for a job but this man did not only did he but he gave her money to go get cleaned up and get new clothes so that she could start fresh for him without like work he did it ahead of time so she could have just ran off on him but he saw something in her and so she kind of felt this debt of gratitude to him and did not feel like she could abandon her post at the sweet maple Mm -hmm. even though cole was like dude you don't have to work there anymore like you're making money with art you know i mean you're doing great she's like no so she goes to work her brunch shift because cole's like no you explain that to me absolutely i'll but i'm gonna be there because i'm gonna be there with you and we're gonna separate like and it like part of it was him protecting her but part of it he's like but he's also like i also just really like being around you all (laughs) the time it was great so and i don't know why i got such a kick out of arthur but he was fabulous he saw cole sitting there at the table and saw mara come in with him so early and he was just like "Is (laughs) is that your new boss he was like what Who did that happen when you weren't even going to try to dig him he was just like the over exaggerated mock surprise that he had going on i was just like fantastic man fantastic i loved him like i just pictured him as this little old man not like super old and he's just super vibing with their little matchmaking kind of thing and he thinks he had some kind of little hand in it <laughs> Yeah, it was just it was cute. It was cute. It was cute. And so there was an article in like a magazine or the paper about her or something. And he Mm -hmm. saw it. And he's seeing how well she's doing. And he gets another good talk with Cole to make sure that she's in good hands. And then he tells her not to come back and just work on her art. He goes, I don't want to hold you back. And I'm like, this is sweet, sweet He's man. like, come back to eat breakfast with everyone else who's rich and famous and doesn't have to carry a tray. And she says, the best people carry trays. You carry a tray. And that I was, was just so like, sweet. It was great. 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 So that night, 
they go to this like curator lady Betsy's party, who we knew from the last book. And they're assuming that Alistair isn't going to be there because he had just had all these fresh kills and he's living high on his life. And that's usually his general pattern, according to Cole. So they felt like this party would be kind of safe to go to. They were wrong because Alistair was there. And not only there, but he was the big showrunner and had a huge piece set up. And so everyone had to interact with it and yeah Alistair went out of his way to taunt them and it was just it was gross and it was at that moment that Cole was basically like are you ready to kill him yet do you see is he making you mad enough like we need to fix this and she was not (laughs) so I want to say that prior to this scene I felt like all the smutty scenes were oddly sailed through in a weird way prior to this it was it was strange it wasn't even what we would normally refer to as glossy because it wasn't like that it was just almost like they were sailing through in a weird way and then we get to this scene and he's basically like when she was not ready he's going to he feels like she has it in her and he can see that kinship in her but she's not ready to admit it yet. No. So he does his weird sex therapy way of getting what he wants out of her. And it's like, it's a lot. Chokes her into I being ready-ish. have a note in here that I said, he basically chokes, chokes her, into her submission. until she almost dies. But it's only because he wants her to admit that she wants everybody else dead. And he's like talking to her and she's seeing spots. He is not willing to let up until she can admit to herself how she feels and that she wants Alistair dead. And she literally screams out loud, I want them all dead. And like all the people who have like done her. Right, right, right. But yeah, he's and he's like ruthless in the sex part too. And it just yeah but oddly this brings them closer and they he it's because he sees it in her and he wants you're right it's his own weird version of sex therapy It's, it's strange but this just is another just clink in the chain that solidifies them and now they're like even working as one unit they're really just collaborating together so cohesively she even allows him to use a paintbrush to touch one of her paintings which she was so adamant that he was nowhere allowed to be near before and like he even allowed her to help create and pick a design submission for the corona heights park big sculpture thing that he's been working on and they're just they're really collaborating. And it's at this point that they really have been talking about Officer Hawks. And we met him in the last book. He did the interview when Mara came in, like kicking and screaming about how it was Shaw that killed Aaron. And it blows when... my mind that a victim will be screaming about this is the person who did it, this is the person who did it. And yet they're like, mm. But no. Yeah. And so when Cole came in and 
put up a fight about her being in there because he thought she was being questioned as like a suspect because it was her bedroom, you know, and he just wanted to make sure she was protected. That set up all kinds of red flags for some reason for Hawks. He just saw his mannerisms and different things. I think he just had rich boy issues, but you know, it's anyway. also kind of hinted at that I, right. he sees himself in Cole and he can see how right. dangerous Cole actually is. And it obviously comes through during like sees like. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he sets up a meeting with Cole and wants to interview him based on this whole thing. And Cole normally would not have accepted, except he wants to feel Officer Hawks out because Mara told him that he seems pretty perceptive. He seems pretty latching on to minute details like in people's mannerisms and what they're doing. And that interested Cole in a way of, he wants to make sure that his way of thinking, and he's not, A, he's not a threat, and B, if he can be actually helpful to figure out this situation with Shaw. So he meets with him. He's disappointed. No. He's disappointed because he tries to play the game and he's like, this is child's play. He's not able to rise to the level. But because... Cole was playing the game that just infuriated Hawk even more and put a target on him even more. He kind of was like a spurned lover. He's yeah. kind of got like a super vendetta against him. And Cole yeah. is like, Cole like collects an idiot. those guys. And Cole's making him feel like an idiot. And <clears throat> I'm going to repeat it for a third fucking goddamn episode. His tiny little man feelings are getting hurt. Well, and that's the thing. Cole has all these people that seem to like have these quick vendettas against him because he hurt their feelings the people just can't handle like the cold way that cold just like shoot listen it's that male fragility at its best women so, are just spiteful so murder you when you're sleeping so, you won't even know it so he feels like the meeting was kind of a waste of time because it didn't really get anywhere except putting him a little bit more on hawk's radar and he realized how much Hawk really was pinning things on him and that like he was even pulling the missing Danvers into the situation and like he's smart the potential. and he knows he's got the potential. He knows the points and he knows like he has all the pieces, but But he was letting his own bias. He was letting his own feelings and his own mm -hmm. bias cloud over that true black and white perception mm -hmm. that could have allowed him to Exactly. Yeah, and that's where Cole, being the you don't put feelings into it, he was like, this guy's. So then he goes to find Mara, who's, you know, doing her thing in the studio, covered in paint. She meets him out, wants to know how it goes. He tells her all about the meeting. Then they head back and have some time together. He teaches her how to use his pottery wheel and covers I'll her love, in clay. I was going to say, a la ghost. Really? And this is where she tells him that she loves him. And he asks her, what does that feel like? Like, yep. what is that feeling? And so she describes it to him. And he's like, I feel that for you, too. Right. I, I feel the way you're describing this. Right. Because you have to remember how he was grown up. You know, his mom died. We find out exactly well, how so old he was. But he his mom died when he was four. 
And he was grown up with these angry, mean men. He, you know, he's not really. Like, that's the thing is when we get more of his backstory and mm-hmm. we learn more and more about him and what has made him into what he is, it does make sense why he acts the way he does. Like they usually do have Usually, reasons. but other times people are just psychopaths, uh-huh. a.k.a. But, probably Shaw. But just- trauma breeds. Shaw probably has a backstory, too, because trauma... Am uh, I out there murdering people right now? No, but trauma more often than not is what um, is the precursor for a lot of these issues. Some people are just born kind of extra, but. I didn't turn into a, I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. Just saying neither one of us are out here murdering people. But that's what I mean. I think that as a human, I think women tend to bottle it up and utilize it differently. You know, it is what it is. So, anywho, they find out that Cole has beat out Shaw's submission and he has won the Corona Heights Park bid and his giant interactive sculpture will be the one that is built. It's just a giant labyrinth. Shaw's submission was the giant interactive spider web. Right. Yeah. That sounds cool. Um, Here's the thing. You know what it brings it back to is... David Bowie in the labyrinth from the movie that she was well, a giant black glass maze. It's cool. I know. Well, what I'm saying is yeah. it brings it back to she was saying how much she liked the labyrinth. Right. They're collaborating. I know he's not your favorite person, but sometimes I really do like Cole's inner thoughts and inner growth and different little so... things. Like he had this one line when Hawks was making the connection to Danvers and he was just like, when the fuck did I make it a rule for myself to not murder people that I respect? It's inconvenient. (laughs) Here's the thing is I think that the character that he was in the first book is different than the character in this book. He still got the whatever, but for me, he grew on me. And I think, I just think the way that he was written in this book felt differently to me so I liked him a lot better in this book like he did not bother me. you liked as he was developing emotions and willing to admit that I guess so yeah is that why he grew I I see see it was he was the whole time because I was the lack of pretentiousness that because the consistent comments about oh poor people really rubbed me the wrong way a lot from the last book I felt like he did plenty of that like I think he he even made a comment about Danvers yeah he made plenty of comments about Danvers for the thing he made plenty of comments about everybody in there but he used to say a lot about Mara and that really bothered me a lot for I just it was a huge issue it was just the lack of Mara but but he fixed Mara he bought her new clothes (laughs) yeah but he didn't say it as often in this book than he did in the last book is what I'm saying and so I think that the way that he was in this book was a lot more palatable to me than it was in the last book so this I liked that inner dialogue though that was really funny so like I don't hate him he just the last book I did not like him I did not like him I none of that as somebody who reads a lot of like morally great characters so I'm used to that kind for somebody who's used to these kind of characters he was the same character throughout you could just see his growth as we were going I'm not saying Um, that he's a completely drastically different character I'm just saying I did not hate him as much as this Honestly, I genuinely enjoyed him more in the first book because I felt like he was very just solid in who he was. And there was so many 
realizing what different emotions and different things. And he just all of a sudden kind of got a little clingy in this one, but I understood why. And it, it was obvious and you could see his arc and he, you could see his growth in that, that sometimes when we're kind of in the middle of like a growth, it's not my favorite part. I like those, you know, the beginning and the, the end stuff. So yeah, he, he was fine for me in this book, but I did kind of like his, his snarky little turdy self. He was more fun for me to read in the first book. He was just as snooty to me in this book to other people, just not to Mara, because he, in his mind, fixed Mara. She was raking in all the dough. He fixed her clothes because everyone we came across other than Mara, he made comments upon their looks and their status and in this one too. But we just, this one was more bubbled to him and Mara I was so thinking much it was, that we it didn't. Kinda, I feel like maybe it was just more subtle. And I think the way that it, for me, the more in love with Mara he got, the less, I think, abrasive he was about it. I think you could see, like you said, you don't enjoy he the He was gaining part. perspective. Right. So he wasn't like just... It, and I think it was still I just, who he was, but right. But he was, you know, dialed down a little. So after they learn about winning the bid and that he's going to be making his glass maze, he shows her what's been locked in his basement because his whole house has been open to her, very open and inviting. And the only room that's been locked the whole time is the basement. And she's kind of been scared to go down there because she's like, mm, he's just a killer. I don't want to go in his basement. Like it's locked. It's locked for a reason. Smart. It's a smart right? woman. Right? Like, it's about time we found, it's about time we found a smart Honestly, <laughs> she's been a really good FMC. Yeah, like throughout both books, she's still been really, she's been solid. She's been good. So, and that's the thing I like mm -hmm. because when there's a duet, sometimes the FMC in the second book is not as strong and awesome as she was in the first book. And then I don't like them. And this one, right. she, like she kind of almost like falls prey, like the way he's softening mm -hmm. to their love. She does. She usually too. does. Yeah. But the, I like the fact that she hasn't, um, which mm -hmm. I appreciate a lot. And I think maybe that's why I was like, he's softening. You know what I mean? It was given that somebody's softening, but. Because usually developing. they soften together, and this right. was more of an imbalance where he's softening and she's exactly. staying the same. And I think that's why I kind of liked him more in the other one. That's mm -hmm. a good point. And you're right. It's frustrating when it's off balance in the female perspective, which normally we encounter more. So, but so, yeah, so he shows her what's down there. It's an underground garden that survives on its own. It's a self-sustaining ecosystem. Yeah, I think he described it as his mother's, the biome, basically. Yeah, he said it's a self-sustaining garden that was his mom's. And he's kept it going and thriving this whole time. Then he shows her the tree where his her mother, mother his hung herself. And he shares with her why. Yeah. Or at least his version of why. Perspective of why yeah. based on her journals. And basically she was afraid that he was going to be just like the uncle and the father. And, and I there had was that such cold. good hope about his mother. And then I did. And there anymore. was such cold <laughs> darkness in him too. And that just cold unfeelingness. And so she tried to soften him by getting him a pet and he hated the pet. He wanted it to die. I loved his 
He's like, I really fucking hated this rabbit. I really <laughs> hated the rabbit. But my mom gave it to me and I didn't, like, he didn't want to just He didn't want to make his, right, he loved his mom more than he hated the rabbit. Mm-hmm. So he begrudgingly took care of the rabbit day in and day out he, to make well, his mom happy. Well, not day happy. in and day out. It's like, he I was four. It. I know, he's like, I would neglect it for a few days <laughs> because I didn't like it. And then she, until she would remind me and then I would remember to take care of it. But it, it is, he loved his mom more than this hatred of this rabbit so he begrudgingly and took that care of it love and it, and, yeah allowed him to overcome <laughs> his hate and even though he had thoughts of wanting the rabbit to die he would have never taken that step because he had that love that was more mm-hmm. and then i'm assuming it was probably the uncle 100 was that motherfucker one day the rabbit was dead and the mom assumed it was him and no questions nothing she went and is gone now and then her journal entry was basically like that was the kicker that was the kicker he's just like them and i'm like you spineless bitch so then that took away the only love in that household that he had the only love he had to cling to overcome any of that so then he had nothing just a void yeah it sucks because like i was holding on hope because he loved her and he spoke so highly of her and all this other stuff and then like spineless bitch and Mara the can... fact that she just like jumped to oh he did it and with no question and I understand she's seen the darkness in his dad she's seen the darkness in his uncle and she kind of could see it in too so like I understand why she would jump to conclusions but bitch he's four and really that's your solution I get it you don't want to be in this situation anymore but like yeah. he's four well and Mara sees the situation for what it is and can verbalize exactly what you're verbalizing and can show him just how frustrated she is to him that it was a lack on his mom's part not on his part Mm -hmm. and that he has love in his life now so everything he's done previously doesn't matter basically everything starts over now in her eyes because he has love now to cling to that can help offset something to grab onto. All the parents suck. <laughs> Every parent sucks in this book. Ugh. So they're all happy and all together now again. And this brings them closer again. I don't know how much closer they can get at this point. But Mara decides, well, through a lot of help and a lot of pushing, has decided to develop a social media presence. And starts kind of documenting her journey through creating all these pictures. The point originally was to kind of create hype for her showcase happening soon for that particular set of paintings. But she kind of uses it as like a cathartic way to document her journey and Mm -hmm. show how she's feeling and throughout this process. Because the paintings that she is making are very traumatic hey here's our trauma again they're very traumatic to her in her past and to her childhood and it's taking a lot of feelings for her they also find out that alistair shaw has struck again and this one he has posed in just like another painting june yep so the last two that he's murdered he has set the scene for mm-hmm. two different paintings so he did it with Aaron 
and now he's doing it with this one and yeah it really is driving home the point that this is it's not, an artist it's his it's an artist and this is not his normal way of killing them and not how he normally right. displays he's, them he's really trying to he's poke trying fingers to get, at cole well this thing he's trying to poke fingers at cole he's also trying to get into cole and mara's head because you no know, now he's shifting his thought process mm-hmm. and that's how they know because this man pissed about losing the showcase like mm. he didn't show it at first but he is livid that he lost the showcase to cole so now he's really ramping some stuff up he does even more shitty things to ramp it up even more yep and hawks who has seen this happen has now started trailing cole because he's convinced that he is the murderer and is paying no mind to shaw at all and because of those things mara who had acknowledged her feelings but hadn't set any plans in motion and is now feeling guilty that because they did not take Shaw out, now another girl is dead, is now definite in her feelings and is, we need to kill him. We need to get this done. So they got work to do. He says she's not ready yet. He's got to prepare her. So they're going to work on it. That's kind of a little ominous for us, but you know, and probably for her too. But Ooh. We're almost into spooky well, season. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it spooky, but you know. <laughs> we are in we are currently now in spooky month. I don't think I call it spooky, but this is this comes out in October, so this is spooky month. But I meant this. This yeah, is Halloween. This is Halloween. This is not Halloween. This is Christmas time. Fuck you, it's Christmas time. This is Halloween. In the book. I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> but in the book. I don't care. We need to get you a Halloween book. So it's time for Mars show in December of this book. I'm just saying past Halloween. The reason I'm saying Halloween, you dumb bitch. I was going to call you something else. I decided not to use that word. Oh, your favorite word. (laughs) There's spooky vibes in this book. Okay. There's a lot of murdery. So that's why it is a spooky book. Spooky month. I think spooky is like ghost kind of thing. Not necessarily murder, but yeah. Murder is spooky. (laughs) This man is stringing people up in spider webs. The you can murder right any there. month of the year. You don't only have to murder people in October. Yeah, but it's not a spooky murder if it's not done in October. But they're planning to do it in December, so this is not spooky. Well, no one wants it as a Christmas present. They do. It's a Christmas present for them. But I'm saying, no. Spoiler alert, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but they plan to kill Sean Christmas Eve. Yeah. But no, listen, Shaw always strings people up with spider webs. There's a lot of spider webs in this. So you know what? Halloween. Okay. It's a Halloween I'll, book. I'll let you have that so I can move on. Yeah. Her show is here. Uh-huh. Her showcase for her paintings. Everyone is ooing and eyeing over them because they're fantastic uh-huh. and traumatic. They are quite shock, spooky. Oh. They're unnerving because... You can feel the the sadness and the neglect right coming right off the painting. There's Danvers, <laughs> the new person who has replaced him, is there. So the critic who writes for whatever that place is. Her name is Gemma, and I guess she's quite the story weaver and shark. And Sonia makes sure to be like, watch out for that one. And yeah, watch out for that one, because then an article comes out 
talking about her work, but then Gemma went and called her mother to get a quote and... Her mom's like, she's a liar. We tried to send right. her to so many psychotherapists and all, and psychiatrists, and she's just, she's just a pathological liar. That's her accent that I have in my mind. Oh. And Gemma's article states, well, guess it wasn't real after all, was it? Kind of thing. Gemma, you can go kindly fuck yourself with a cactus. Yes, Gemma's article's not great, but Mars paintings are doing great. She's doing great in other articles and papers in the art world and everyone's kind of learning about who she is she was even photographed with cole together and the title of the article they crowned them the crown prince and princess of the art world they're kind of really eating it up with the press they're doing a great job other than Gemma, so much so that cole books a slot for her at a morning show that she can go on the morning show and talk about her new collection that she just presented and art in general and herself and kind of establish herself in that way. It's kind of cool, kind of a big deal. She gets to go be on TV. So they go and do that. She has to get real, real early to be on this morning show. I don't know if you ever watched the TV series, the morning show, but yeah, they set their alarm for like three o'clock in the morning. So they, I do watch a lady on TikTok who's a weather woman and she gets up at like 2 a.m. So, right. Yeah. It's crazy. So, Cole set this all up for her. Cole saw that article with the interview with the mother. He was very displeased by it. Cole has been having conversations with Mara about Alistair Shaw and he's reiterated that she's not quite ready yet. She has to trust the process because she's frustrated and she's worried that he's going to kill again and it's going to be like on them. And because of this interview, he looks up what's going on with the mom, kind of searches her up on the internet, searches Randall up on the internet, finds that Randall doesn't have much information there. It's like he doesn't want his address known by anyone, even his job basically has a P.O. box. And he's not really searchable real well. But he does find a phone number for him and uh, poses as a reporter and Want, willing to pay to money. Meet, yeah. yeah. To meet up Be- with him. Because he knows that Randall needs money. He's basically yeah. playing to him as a dumb because he is a dumb. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Mara's worried about getting up so early for this morning show, as he predicted she might be. And he's like, well, I have this Ambien, take it so you can fall asleep. This is a wild experience for me because I will make sure you get up in the morning. And she's like, oh, thank you. That would be awesome. So she takes the Ambien and he brought that with him and wanted to make sure she had it. And I wonder if she said no, he probably would have crushed up and put it in a drink or something because that was his way of making sure that she was going to be safe and not going anywhere while he wasn't by her side. Yeah. I Which just... is, I mean, she finds out about it later, but it, I don't like it. That comment about the ambient kind of rubbed me the wrong way where she goes, I just like to have that out of body feeling. And I was like, bitch, what drugs are you doing while you're having sex? Uh, I mean, I no doubt, no, like, but ambient. Well, and she might have equated it to being drunk and 
and wants to see this kind of reaction. You know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. So I didn't mind most of this next part. I just didn't like a definite section that made me visibly go no and then want to gag and throw up and then DNF the book. Oh, yeah. She did the whole daddy thing. Yeah, I forgot. Because they have this huge thing and he cross lines that he had never done before with her like with anybody he'd never went the back door way which all of it was great like i enjoyed the scene until she said the word daddy okay and then i got past that part but i didn't like when she made another comment about it i have an issue with people saying the word daddy because all I could think of, it just, it feels so good to have a daddy. And I said, God, Especially oh, with both no. of their, like, daddy issues, it was just not Like, great. I understand some daddy issues, because the other part is part of another scene that happens that has also even more that I fucking hated. And that's when I really almost DNF'd this book. And it's not because of the story, none of that. Something like that visibly makes me gag. And I was listening to it audiobook. Not on my phone, an actual audiobook in my car. And I yelled this out book? loud. Oh. And I yelled out loud. And I was like, no. <laughs> and I almost turned it off. <laughs> I thought, I didn't know you audiobooked this. I thought you. I half and half it. Maybe that helped you too with some of these like moments and characters having that audio. It was book, literally like the, the last half of the book. Oh, so maybe not. <laughs> so, so maybe not. <laughs> no, but I got um, to hear the audio portion of them banging and her saying daddy. And I, I and while well, uh, she's him. passed out and drugged, he goes on a journey. He goes on a trip in his favorite rocket ship. Which is a stolen Camry. Yeah. <laughs> because of traffic cams. Yeah. So he takes a visit to this bar to meet up with Randall posing as the reporter and he's playing randall and randall's like you know come back to my place and i'll show you what you want to show me and you can give me the mom's address because he really wants to pay her a visit yeah he's mad so he has him right where he wants he's like fabulous fabulous we can go to this little cabin fabulous i don't have to try to figure out where to kill you you're just doing my job for me. And we don't really know what happens, what happens next. We just go straight to the morning show and Mara's waking up and Margo's on the morning show, doing great. And it's after the morning show that we find out exactly what happened to Randall because Cole sits her down in front of the computer to show her a little video. And this is his version of preparing her for Shaw's murder. Because he needs to have her see someone be murdered, especially somebody she knows, yeah. and get that instant visceral reaction out of the way yeah. and make sure she can handle it. So, yeah, we see how Randall dies. And then she is kind of adamant that, well, now I feel like I really need the backstory between you and Shaw and how you yeah. guys came to be and how you guys met so we learn that Shaw and Cole met in college and Shaw kind of followed him around as a puppy dog and Cole was like you know fuck you kind of thing but because he followed him around as a puppy dog he overheard things he probably shouldn't including learning about 
a professor who used Cole's work and passed it off as his own to gain kind of a little local stardom and accolades in the art world based on Cole's work, not his. Mm -hmm. And when Cole confronted him about that, Shaw overheard and this professor, Oswald, made his life after that kind of harder and more miserable in college to the point of he decided to dispose of Oswald. So when Oswald went missing, Shaw knew exactly what happened. And to show Cole that Shaw is just like him and they could be buddies and they can collaborate and best friends forever, Shaw does his own and kills the most popular girl, the top of the, their art class, and leaves her basically as a present in the walking path on the way where Cole is going to find her. Because wasn't it, he picked her for a specific reason. Cole. <clears throat> right. And, and he, yeah. He thought Cole liked her too. It also ties in every other murder that he's done because all of the girls look the exact same. So I think that Shaw thinks that is Cole's type. Mm -hmm. And so he's been trying all these years to then latch on to Cole's way of thinking. When in reality, Cole was like, I wasn't even interested in her. Yeah, exactly. But it it just goes to show like how unhinged Shaw is Mm -hmm. because literally all of these years, the girls are the exact same look. And of course, the only time he's ever killed someone that did not fit the description was when he killed Aaron. Aaron's the only outlier. And that was obviously to send a message. Right. It was supposed to be Mara. And that's another reason why they did not connect Aaron to the rest of the murders. Is because she's the only redhead out of all the brunettes. The profile. Yeah. Yeah. So then Officer Hawks confronts Mara. I can hate this dude. And he's running the investigation now because he wasn't before the guy who was in charge kind of was on the back burner and that's kind of why hawks was poking around so much he was kind of showing initiative and yada yada and they knew that he was probably going to be in line because the murders kept happening so somebody was going to get the chopping block and so he would be next in line to kind of take over this investigation so now he's in charge and he kind of thinks his way in is through mara and he offers her kind of i shouldn't say offer but he kind of threatens her and basically is like, dude, if you don't help me nail Cole, you're going to go down with him. Mm-hmm. You should give me access to his house. Like you live there. That's okay. And Mara's basically like, fuck you. You have the wrong guy. I keep telling you, you have the wrong guy. You're not listening. You're just doing yourself a disservice. Like you're an idiot. Yep. After all this has happened where Cole felt he prepared Mara and then Hawks is like all up in everyone's grill. They decide that at the Christmas Eve party, this will be their moment. Christmas Eve will be the time that Alistair Shaw dies. They have a plan set in motion. So there's a Christmas Eve party for the artist world. And everybody in all the circles are there. So they know Shaw's going to be there. And they have a plan to put on this performance where they basically fight loudly in public to get his attention and 
make it clear that she will be leaving on her own Mm -hmm. so that he will have an opportunity, which works. But when Cole tries to follow behind, Hawks- uh, such a dumbass. I hate him Who then got kicked off the case because he wasn't making progress and his big ticket was to go with Mara and that didn't work. And I think that was his like- His Hail Mary last resort thing. And he got kicked off the case. So now he's spiraling and grasping at straws. So he's just mad. And he grabs Cole walking out the door and tries to arrest him. For what? Who knows? He doesn't probably even know. He's just taking him in. And he's then just he grasping him down. at straws at this point. Yeah, spiraling bad. And he pats him down and finds that Cole has he's a knife in his jacket. And now he's like, oh, probable cause. Now you're definitely coming with me. Like, you weren't taking him anyways. And Cole's like trying to explain to him, like, no, you don't understand. Shaw is going after Mara right now. We have to go. He's going to kill her. He's trying to explain the whole thing. He goes, He's nah. not listening. Nah, yeah, not bro. listening at all. The streets are going to be safe with you off him. He's not listening. So <laughs> sticks him in the police car. And Cole's getting desperate because he knows the longer he's away from Mara, the more she's in danger. She could be dead by now. He's worried. And he apparently, which I didn't think you could do because i thought that was the whole point of them but apparently he's he man and listen when you're that much in love and scared for this person apparently (laughs) it's like a mother with her lifting a car for her child Hmm. because he takes his feet and busts out the grate in between the back seat and the front of the cruiser and starts choking officer hawks from behind to cause a car accident and if you want to know what it looks like you get a picture of it Yep. So, so Officer Hawks is passed out because he's not going to kill him. He's already assaulted an officer. He's not going to make it worse. But at least the car is stopped and he can take off. I mean, he's injured. It was a car accident, but he's taken off. Mom, he's on his listen, way. He's going to see if he can save Mara. He got injured when he jumped out of the window when Shaw set him up. He hurt his ankle when yep. he walked through that spider web. So he had already been injured because of that. So, like, you know, jumping out of a flipped police car is nothing. So, Mara, who was supposed to be the bait for Shaw, and it worked well, led him away from the party. (laughs) Little too well, yeah. Led him away from the party and led him to the labyrinth. That she knows the way, but she quickly learns that he obviously has been studying it at at night because he knows the way, too. And uh, it's not going so well. She does manage to stab him, though, but it's not going well. But he's confessing all kinds of stuff to her because he's going to kill her. And that's what bad guys do is they confess what's yep. going to. Yeah. And Listen, I meant to then, insert when we were talking about the labyrinth. <laughs> insert labyrinth by Taylor Swift. Listen, I know. I breathe that in. They... Listen, breathe in, breathe through, breathe deep, breathe out, baby. She had to do a lot of that while she was hiding in the labyrinth for to not die. Duh. That should have been it on worked. the playlist. That's what you're so, And then you start yes. playing, you remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe. Note to the self, this playlist, these books, they're not safe for work. So, of course, because this is a book and that's how shit happens, Cole makes it just in time and comes out of nowhere, even though they're in the middle of this labyrinth. Because Somehow, he built he it so he knows how to get in. there. And she did mention that all the walls can move so she could technically have gotten out easier so he probably just booked his ass through he there. probably just 
yeah barreled in and he did he barreled in out of nowhere and just came from the side and just took him down and they're fighting and fighting and things aren't looking so good because cole was just in a car accident and he's already bleeding and busted and it's not going so well he's telling her to run and go she sees the knife on the ground and he, she yells to him to get his attention, and he's able to rip his hair up just in time for her to swipe the knife. And so they managed to kill this Split man who has killed a lot of women as a team. They, yeah, they team worked it. Teamwork that makes team. the dream work. Team, bitches. I swear to God, please, we have never murdered anybody as a team. So, bye, bye, Alistair Shaw. You're dead. You're not coming back. Alistair Shaw can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because he's dead. dead. Ooh. Look what you made us do. Look what you made us do. So in all this blood and gore, they fuck next to his dead body in the snow, which I thought was really, while the sirens are coming towards them. Listen, um, their whole banging situation. I thought, thank you, because I thought throughout both these books that all of their smutty scenes were not to my taste. That doesn't mean they weren't there and they weren't like great, but what the Ariel way that they were executed. She does not want to bang next to a dead body. No, it's not even that because, okay, that's kind of sounds weird, but it's that could have been written better in a way that yeah. could have appealed to me in my way but i just felt like the way that these scenes were written and the way that a lot of them were like sailed through in different weird ways and then not and it was an odd choice for a lot of these yeah. things and then the ones that were chosen to be highlighted just didn't do it for me in the way that i was like oh yeah the smut was good in this book yeah. it wasn't like that kind of vibe was there smut yes was could it be someone's vibe absolutely it just, the way that things were described, the way that things were going on was not necessarily mine. So they fuck in the snow next to a dead body. Absolutely. And, first uh, of all, hell to the no for the fucking in the snow. Crystal is that, not the queen of the north. No, that shit is cold. That shit has got to go. <laughs> we're just going to keep. <laughs> My vagina says no, no, no. Because she's not a snow ho, ho, ho. Even though it's Christmas Eve. Oh my god. But no, like, um, I look at fucking in the snow as similar to fucking on the beach. Fucking in the sand, yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. I do not want sand up in the crevices of places. I definitely, I think the sand beach fucking is worse, but oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't want it to be cold. I don't like being cold. <laughs> I live in Florida. I definitely don't I don't like know. It. Ice cubes can have a great aesthetic. Yes, they can. And they're fantastic. But bare-assed in a snow? Absolutely uh, not. Uh, was her cube? ass bare? I don't remember. I probably. Knowing, knowing this book, probably. Knowing, but like, no. Ice cube, fine. It's a controlled hand ice cube. Got it. Snow? Absolutely not. Well, the sirens are going. All this jazz. They must have a record sex because they're wham-bam. Thank you, ma'am. And... So then he's like, dude, I need you to do something for me. I need you to leave. I need you to go home and wait for them to come. I need you to leave. I'm, if anyone asks, I did this. And so then we fast forward three months later. 
And we find out that the cops kind of actually believed them this time, even though Cole was found over a murdered body. Well... Which blows my mind because they didn't believe Mara the first time. They didn't believe Mara the second time. But I, They but think that Cole's the murderer. And then they, they do, found but Cole she did over just a dead body. Almost, she did almost just get murdered by this dude a second time. And she goes, yo... But I'm just saying, like, I know. these same people. Oh, I know. I, I, just found it, I but, almost found it impossible that they. But I do feel like maybe they started to believe it more after they went to his house. And oh, that's right. Okay. That's but right. if they hadn't, so, yes, it would have been so unbelievable. Right. So what happened? Yes. So they found Cole over the body. He said he did it. They went and interviewed her at the house. She explained it all and what happened. And then they went to check out Shaw's house. And they found all the evidence. They found all the IDs of all the victims. And they he put found... them into his artwork and mm-hmm. he had painted them all gold. And sitting next to it was... Uh, I love this so much. Oswald and Danvers' wallets because... While he was Mara, with the cops, Mara went to Mara the department. and planted the wallets. Without leaving fingerprints. Without leaving fingerprints. And Cole's super I proud of her. I learned from the best. So it did take a while and a lot of lawyers to get Colt out of the police's clutches and jail and all that. But they got him out and he ended up just with 50 hours of community service because they couldn't get him much off the Much to the chagrin the, of the cop. Much to the sh- chagrin of Officer Hawks. Officer Hawks is not happy. He and does not feel like he is free as a they could not bird. get the charge of him flipping the police cruiser and causing that accident yeah. off. So that's why he has 50 hours of community service to do. So he's doing community service. And he's actually kind of enjoying it. He's teaching kids like about art at the local community center. Having a grand old time. He's actually doing better at it than he thought he would and interacting with kids. And while he's doing that, Mara pays her mother a visit. Good. Dumbass cuntbag. In case thought, people thought I said scumbag, I said dumbass cuntbag. Pays her a visit with a bottle of wine. Like, oh my hey, god, I, this you know, house here. was well described as to how fucking disgusting this woman's life is. Yeah. You know what, though? Gross. The outsides reflect the insides. So... I don't Mara's like the mom. Being Mara's mom again. And uh, Mara poisons the wine and oh. uh, makes sure to clean up after herself real well. She's like, I have the antidote. And if you want it, I need you to tell me who my dad is. Yeah. And she goes, no. And then she goes, bitch. Watches her sink lower and, and lower. And then she's finally the- like begging. And she goes, but I don't know. I don't know who the dad is. And she made everything up that she ever said about him. Yeah. And she goes, are you happy now? And she goes, there is no antidote. It just lets her die. And are I was you like, happy now? I love it so much. She came full circle. And Cole was very proud of her. I was for proud all of that. So then we get our epilogue, which is one week later. And it is in Venice. They took a trip because they had made a mention previously about italian cuisine and he told her he'd take her to italy and uh, shaw's dead they don't have that threat they're taking a vacation they're good and then like the strangest scene happens where a drunk like bumps into cole and is a outright jerk and cole's knee-jerk reaction is thinking how he could kill him as he stumbles into a dark alley 
And Mara just, they're in like a costume or something. And Mara just takes the feather from her hat and walks up to the drunk guy and puts the feather along his neck. And the drunk guy is so drunk that he just goes along with it and goes, <laughs> and pretends to die. And Cole is like watching this whole thing. And he goes, I'm satisfied by that. <laughs> that that was okay. And I just like, it just, she was able to circumvent that and give him something. It was just, that whole thing was just weird. I had to read it three times to figure out what actually transpired. Because at first I thought she killed him and like it was a whole thing. Was I didn't like with how obsessed she was throughout both books with the knowledge of her father and wanting to know. I didn't like there was no resolution in that. Same. And I, I get it. I was so hoping but... that her father would have seen her in the article and like all this other stuff and all this cool things happening and then just come out of the woodwork and or be like saw the awesome mom, human. Right, or something. I don't know. Or if I thought that maybe the epilogue would have been even like a year or two later where Cole had done like an ancestry thing on her or something and they were going to meet the dad or something. That would have been you nice. Know? You know. Yeah. But here we but are. We no resolution that. with the dad. So. so Crystal and I are going to tell you we are? a little story of a bonus epilogue that we are creating right now on the fly. <laughs> we didn't get one and we think that there needs to be proper resolution. So <laughs> our bonus epilogue takes place two years later and it is titled right at the top so that there's no question. Yes. We have to make sure we label that it is strictly at two years in the future. Yes. And it opens up with... Um, the email dinging again because that has happened a lot throughout the book and mar doesn't want to open it without cole so she has to wait because he's on the phone and this is something that they have been waiting for so long mm -hmm. to happen because it, it takes like three months to get the results back at least it does, and, and not only that but then to find that match exactly and you know because they've gone through all of this together <laughs> so sorry because they've gone through all of this together, she really cannot do this without him. And he's realistically kind of the one to push her into actually doing it. Because, you know, he is really, in the last two years, he's kind of really domesticated himself. And he goes, you know what? They have, they have like... domesticated and undomesticated, yeah, respectively, each exactly. other. Exactly. And they've shared all this stuff. And he just, he understands how much it really does affect her and her soul to not know this because that was her whole soul This purpose. is his present to her. Exactly. holidays finally mean something to him and he wants exactly. this to be. Yes. He bought her the kit for Christmas and it's coming to fruition now. So... She has to wait for him to get off the phone because they've been waiting to hear if they won the bid for the next big sculpture that he did not want to do. But she shanghaied him into it because people are loving the labyrinth so much that he said no several times already. But that guy has been up his ass that she just like, nope, we're doing it. Exactly. Uh, Listen, if you do it, you can be up my ass. And he goes, yes, please. And, um, and the scene is not sailed over. It's not. <laughs> no, it is. It's very detail. descriptive. Yeah. There's toys involved. There's a lot of lube. Yes. There's some yep. anal beads. It hurts, but it's worth it. She's happy. He preps her ahead of time because he yes. knows like this is He's not all about preparation. Should... He's so much about preparation and care. And, you know, even though in the past he just has not been about all the love, he just Mara has like 
really solidified herself in his heart and he's like i really need to care anyway so they're waiting for these so so he gets off the phone and she says so did we get it and he goes of course we got it hello and yes baby we got it so then she kind of looks at him and he's like what what is it she is it here and she goes yes she's like i haven't opened it i'm waiting for you we'll open it and so they sit and they see the email and it's a match they found a match and they have a name and his name is rick and while they're building this piece cole is stalking this man and really learning about him but then he learns then, that this man had no idea that she even existed in the world. And no. her mom had never said it. It was just a one night stand. No, it it was just a names. one night stand and no exchanging. And he had no idea that she existed. But he knows now and they meet face to face and he has children of his own and he's a great father and she circles right in his life and she gets along really well with them and happily ever after. Trauma. Yay. Nailed it. God, we're so good. We will come prepared more next time. (laughs) I was like, we're doing what now? Honestly, some of our best work. It's been years since we've written anything. So here you go. It's been years since we just ended up just going Damn, we improv the shit out of that, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like a little low-key impressed right now. (laughs) Well, it would be impressive if we wrote it down and it was legible. (laughs) Well, the good news is, is it's just going to be lived on in the episode. So so who was your least favorite character? Fucking detective, dude. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, Yeah, you know what? Yeah. Because yeah. he just, he was Hawk. so blind. Hawk yeah, Hawk. Hawk, he was just so blinded by how much he wanted to put Cole away and how much he saw himself in Cole. And everybody I mean, failed her. Like, obviously, the, the moms in this one are total well, pieces of shit. All, the mom, but... yeah, but no, obviously the mom. I'm glad she's dead. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The wicked, the wicked witch. witch. Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. The wicked dead. witch is dead. The wicked whore is dead. Anyways. So down with a bottle of red off with her head. No, that was a different book. That was Alice in Wonderland. That was, <laughs> yes, that was 24, 690. That was 24, 690. <laughs> off with her head. Very merry on birthday to you. To you. To me. To you. Yeah. He sucked ass. <laughs> Who's your favorite? He sucked ass. And not in the way that Cole likes to now. Cole's who all is, about who, that rim job. Who is your favorite? Mara. Was it? Mara, yeah. I, I didn't know if it was Sonia. Um, Still really like her. She was, Yeah, she was good. I wish she was in the book more. Me too. But Mara, but, like, yeah. consistently. Mara, I would yeah. say, was my favorite too. Or an Arthur was good too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, consistently through the last book into this book, I'm really glad that Mara did not lose herself or her personality, you know, because a lot of times it happens, especially in romance novels, like, the women just become steaming piles of garbage because they're like oh my god i'm in love now and this is perfect and their whole personality fucking changes yes i know that happens in real life too it is what it is but i'm glad that throughout these two books she stayed true to who she was as an actual character and any changes she made made sense to her character and weren't like out of fucking left field for no reason so i enjoyed that and i just i liked her as a character she's Mm -hmm. fucking Shaw's throat, and that was great. You put the feather, and then a fake one with a feather. She likes that throat action. She does like that throat action. She really does like that throat action. We learned that too. Yeah. Amazon rates, yeah, Amazon rates it a 4.3, and Goodreads is a 3.9.
I gave it a solid four. I also gave it a solid four. I just liked the dynamic between them and the setup. And I just felt like with how good the setup was in the first one, I just didn't feel like it. It was good. Don't get me wrong. Blue balls. Basically, I just I, I just didn't feel like it was quite as good. And honestly, the the smutty scenes really took it down for me. I just wish they were better. Listen, I would have rated it higher had it not been for the simple fact for that I daddy. almost DNF'd it at sixty seven percent. Because not only did she say "daddy," I'm fucking gonna have to burn these notes. But she's. I just said I thought it couldn't get worse after the daddy thing. But then she said that she wants to be his pleasure kitten, and to keep being his pet. And I said no. So people I are yelled, really into that. I understand that, but that had not been a huge dynamic throughout this whole book, and it threw me off. I know he called said she was like one at the beginning of this book. It was a brief sentence, like "Oh, you're kind of like a pre- pleasure kitten." That was the only time that it was ever said in But there. that's what I meant. Like, all the scenes, except for, like, the couple that they chose to highlight, were sailed over in a weird way. That I think, it was I like, honestly think it was just in, like, a out small... Of the body. I think it was just kind of, like, a small conversation. I don't even think it was revolving around sex. I think he was just saying it in the conversation gotcha. with her. But he only said it once. That makes more be- sense, because it really wasn't... Because it was at, like, the beginning of the book. I think it was, like four percent into but i think that's why those kind of things were weird because we didn't get right so dynamic between them but her saying like except the weird scenes when the only smutty scenes that we're gonna give you a deep dive in are really weird like you got to give us something normal too sometimes because there's plenty of normal in here but you just kind of go okay and that was done kind of thing but that's not it don't work for me like i just when a scene ends with, I blush, remembering what I called him last night when I was blitzed out and half asleep. I've never called anybody that word before. I don't want to be another fucked up girl with daddy issues, but God, it's nice to have a daddy. No. That's literally, yeah. I literally heard that yeah. in my with my own ears. <laughs> that was like, when, I would, I'm in my car in the parking lot. And I was like, absolutely not. Yeah, that I was like, nope. Because then so, the pleasure kitten thing was not long after that happened. I'm very interested oh. to see what you gave it for a cucumber rating because of all these. A four or a five. Yeah, I we also there, would say a four or five, probably leaning was, more towards four. Yeah. There were more in this There book. were some scenes that glossy and weird and just nothing so i liked the scene where she almost passed out and died so that was nice that's horrible <laughs> that scene was fine oh man hey at least we get a wheel today we do so anyways that was our book please read it it was actually pretty decent but um, <laughs> i hope that you already read it if you get to this part oh yeah there's that we're gonna we're gonna wheel of fate our brand- or you just enjoyed our commentary listen sometimes we're like, we're like the fancy cliff notes version we're the fancy with, cliff notes with, with a lot of with mental health problems wheel of fate the wheel of fate spinny, spinny, what's spinny. it gonna be what's it gonna be i don't know all right we are reading 
promises mm. and pomegranates. Isn't this the one that has that mini prequel before it? It doesn't. Yes, it is the one with the little prequel before it. There's a prequel. Yeah, I don't know if we have to read it, I'm but it's read called it. Sweet Sin. Okay. All right. So it's called Promises and Pomegranates by Sav R. Miller. Dr. Cal Anderson assumes he did have a heart at some point in his life, whether it was before watching his mother die after a long battle with cancer or before he was taken in by the most notorious criminal family in Boston. He isn't sure. At 32 years old, all he knows is that the organ in his chest plays a mechanical role at best. His cold, emotionless existence gives him an edge as a fixer and in-house physician for the mafia. His judgment is impartial and swift as death, with nothing to distract from his work. Until her. Elena Ricci, his boss's daughter. Strong-willed and accustomed to violence, Elena knows she's a temptation quickly becoming a problem. After admiring the heartless doctor from afar most of her life, she catches him in a moment of weakness and the pair share a single night of passion as they attempt to work each other from their system. Only, the night seems to have the opposite effect. Elena is no longer a simple temptation to Cal, but a necessity. An obsession. One he won't let anyone stand in his way of, even if that means crashing her wedding to another man, making her his wife, and stealing her away to the corrupt little island he resides on. Alone with the man of her nightmares for the first time ever, Elena starts to chip away at the layers of ice surrounding his hardened heart, but the warmth and depravity from her new husband may not be worth the secrets unveiled or the lives that will be forever altered. So the prequel is her when she was 20, and it's a a one night with them together. It's on the eve of her 20th birthday, any resolve Cal held seems to snap, and he finds himself doing the very thing he swore he wouldn't, giving in. For one night only, he'll indulge in the sweetest of sins and discover that a single taste of forbidden fruit would never be enough. So it's Sweet Sin is a short prequel intended to be read before Promises and Pomegranates. It was originally published in an anthology, and it was also available on her website, but now it has been put onto KU. Tune so in. it's optional if you want to read Sweet Sin. Yeah. I think it's just about that one night before, but I'm assuming they probably reference it in Promises and Pomegranates, Possibly. which is why. Yeah. So yeah. So read along with us. Enjoy. Have fun. Not too much fun. Don't murder anybody. Choose a different kind of fun. Or if you do choose that kind of fun, don't tell. So join us next week for Promises and Pomegranates by Sav R. Miller. Yep. Be there, be square, because we'll be there either way, and we don't like to sing to ourselves. So we're more circles. Yeah, definitely some circles going on. Some squiggly lines. Some squigglies. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that. Alrighty.